add on. All right, if you got a Bible, we're going to get started. We're in this series called Reveal. We are near the end of it. This is the week you've been waiting for. Um, <laughs> let me read it. Let me read these verses, and then we'll dig in, okay? Exodus chapter 34, right over here, I'll, I'll grab it. Verse 6 and 7. It goes like this. And he passed in front of Moses, this is God, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Now, how many of you are thinking to yourself, what is up with the end of that verse? Anybody? Anybody? <laughs> like three of you are curious. The rest of you have it figured out. Um, it's, it's pretty intense, right? And we've been reading these two verses over and over the last few weeks and whenever we read that part, I can tell that there's kind of a mood change in the room. There's like a, really? What is the deal with the kids? Why does all of a sudden we have this compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, and then God goes MMA on kids? Like, what is the deal with that? And so today we're going to dig into that. And uh, like I said before, we've been saying this week after week after week. This verse, these two verses, are the most quoted verses in the Bible by the Bible. And so what you'll find is if you read scripture, start reading the prophets or reading Psalms or, I mean, just all the way down the list, you will see bits and snippets or the whole thing quoted. It is God revealing himself, who his character is and his nature to us. And it starts with Moses on the mountaintop. Now, let me just tell you the good news and the bad news. Let's start with the bad news. The bad news with this verse is that you and I don't really have the luxury of picking and choosing what the Bible says and means. We don't get to choose which scripture is good and we're going to go with and which scripture's not good and we're going to leave out. And so we come under, we believe here at Restoration that we kind of come under the authority of Scripture and, and then we have to wrestle with it, right? Like if it says hard things, we've got to walk into that. We've got to lean into it. We've got to wrestle with it. We've got to question. We've got to protest. We've got to do all those things. But ultimately, in the end, we see where God leads with it. We trust God in it. Maybe you read the Bible differently, and that's fine, but I think you'll, you would agree that if you shape your theology of God around bits and pieces of the Bible that you like, what you're going to find, it's, it becomes kind of this mishmash, and it becomes like an ever-evolving idea of who God is, what the scripture calls being pushed by the tides, Okay, you're going you're gonna, to, oh, that sounds good. Oh, no, this is good. And what you'll find is you'll find a God that isn't real, 
a God that is more artificial. And ultimately, you'll find a God that is like just like you. And a God who likes the people you like and doesn't like the people you like and on and on and on. And this is why at the beginning of this, we talked about how it's really important, like when A.W. Tozer says, the most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. Because it, it defines how you interact with this world. And so that's the bad news in the sense of we don't get to cut and paste. We don't get to Thomas Jefferson this Bible. And that's literally what Thomas Jefferson did. He cut things out that he didn't like. We don't get to do that. We have to take all of it and we have to wrestle with it. And we wrestle with it as a community together. Deal? The good news is, it doesn't mean what you think it means on a cursory reading. Like it sounds pretty hardcore, but it, it sounds like, okay, Ryan messes up in life and it, so then it sucks to be Keelan, my son. It, you know what I mean? Like, he gets to deal with, I did what I've done in my life. But I want to tell you that this section is actually really beautiful. And we're going to get into what this means. But let's start with verse 7. It says, maintaining love to thousands. Now, that word maintaining means to protect or to guard. It's the idea, the picture here, here is like a century guard at the edge of a city guarding the city. And this idea that God guards, uh, he guards, he maintains his love for us by guarding it and protecting it. Psalm 40 verse 11 says, Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. This same word is used here. It's this idea of protection that God is guarding um, us. Um, Yahweh is like a century guard, you know, guarding us. And not just you, it says to thousands. A phrase that means really actually in Hebrew, it's very poetic. It actually means uh, limitless love. That there, there's no ceiling to it and there's no floor to it. So God's love, and he protects it, he maintains this limitless love for us. And then he goes on to say it's forgiving wickedness, wickedness, sorry, rebellion, and sin. And a lot of people think that Jesus is the one that introduced forgiveness. <laughs> like, like, God was angry all the time. Remember the whole caricature thing? That God was angry all the time, and then uh, Jesus' son went off to college, and we joke around about this, and then he comes back and goes, no, God, you need to be nicer. Um, no, the word forgiveness is used 658 times before even Jesus is mentioned. This idea of forgiveness has been around. It's in the Hebrew. It's, it's translated as forgiving here. And it literally means to lift up, to carry, and to take away. Now, if that's not a signpost to Jesus, then I don't know what is. And, and I'm getting a little ahead of our, myself, but it says this is exactly what Jesus does on the cross. Father, forgive them, okay? Lift up or take away or carry away from them, forgive them. And, and this is what Jesus does on the cross. He lifts sin onto his shoulders and then takes them away. John says that, behold the Lamb of God who takes away, nasa the sin of the world. 
And so it goes on to say, what does Yahweh forgive here? Okay, wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Let's talk about those real quick. Wickedness um, is, is this word that talks about any kind of bad behavior from cutting off somebody in traffic to genocide. Pretty good reach, <laughs> right? Uh, pretty, pretty big swath of, of behavior there. Uh, then it talks about rebellion, which is the word pesha, which is to break the law. It's like legal language and courtroom language. So there's been a crime and a violation, okay? And then sin is the word hata, which is, means miss the mark. It's not a moral word. See, we, we, we've made it very moral when we talk about it. It's kind of a moral word for us in our language. But sin just really means to miss the mark. Some of you have heard this before. It's an archery term. So if you miss the bullseye, you sin. You missed a mark. And so these three words join together to cover the full breadth, okay, of human pollution, really, of what, what, we've, what we can do, what we actually have the ability to pull off as human beings, everything. But the point here is not a guilt trip. This isn't what this, this is, it's to show that Yahweh is forgiving of all sins, of shapes, all sins, shapes, and sizes. Like, do you, do you actually believe that, that God forgives anything? I mean, really? Because me and you have this really good way of making things about degrees. And, and Yahweh just doesn't forgive here. It's not like he forgives once. He is constantly forgiving. Like it's an ongoing action as far as who God is, his nature, okay? The prophet Micah, he puts it like this. And this is really cool. Micah says, who is like you? Who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? Do you, you do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham as you pledged an oath to our ancestors in days long ago. So God's ongoing forgiveness. It's like always happening. It's born out of who he is. It's part of his name. It's part of, that word name means etching. It's part of like the deepest, truest parts of who God is. And God is not reluctantly forgiving. He doesn't begrudgingly forgive sins and, against himself and others. It's not like he's like, oh, here you go again. Well, I guess you found the loophole. I just said I'd forgive everything, so I guess I'm going to begrudgingly do it. No, it's like God is like jonesing to forgive, if I could put it that way. He is like, it's just, he's itching to do it. He's, he's looking for ways to forgive, to show mercy, to, to come at us with that. But there's a counterpart to the forgiving nature of God. It goes on to say that he, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. And it says in some versions, but who will by no means clear the guilty. The idea is this, that Yahweh is forgiving by nature, but at the same time, he's also just. 
And listen, there's a lot of people who don't want forgiveness. I mean, that's kind of where this goes. I mean, there's just a couple of, of, of categories here that, that might be helpful. Some people, because they just deny that they're even sinful in the first place. That's just like, ah, sin, that's kind of an archaic, pre-modern term. <laughs> you know, there's, you know what, what's sin anyway, right? You know, that kind of an idea. And the other one is the other group of people might be aware of how screwed up they are, but they're just going to keep on keeping on. They just don't care. And I, to be honest with you, I've fallen into the, both those categories before. And I'm sure you have too. And, 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 and the idea here is that Yahweh doesn't turn a blind eye to either camp. Because he's just. And this justice is a good thing. It's a really good thing. And it's hard for me because I cringe a little when I read, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. See, I would love a God that's just super chill. <laughs> See, my justice is a whole lot different than God's though. For instance, um, Angela and I, our birthdays are pretty close together. Her birthday, <laughs> sorry. Her birthday's in May. Um, and on her birthday, we had spent a whole lot of time together in the morning. We got up early to work out. We were doing all this stuff. We were hanging out. We were having coffee. And it wasn't until about 8.30 in the morning that I realized it was her birthday. And mind you, I had already booked a plane flight for her with her birthday entered in, right? Like, and I still didn't get it, you know? I'm like, oh yeah, birthday's May 10th. <laughs> and then I'm sitting there and all of a sudden it dawns on me, today's your birthday. And she's like, finally, you know, it's like 8.30 in the morning and, you know, a whole bunch of other people knew they were in on it. They're like, ha ha, you know? And, and it was, I, you know, it felt bad. I kind of tried to talk my way out of it, but it was legit my bad. This last week was my birthday and we were camping. And I, I forgot it was my birthday until like about 7.45 in the morning. And then I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> payback, right? So I just kind of lay low. I'm just kind of chilling. Finally, I couldn't handle it anymore. It was 8.35 in the morning. And none of my family had remembered. And I'm like, vindication, right? Like I felt so good, like justice had happened but I was just actually a really big jerk about it. So uh, God's justice isn't that. It isn't vindication. It isn't, okay, I'm going to wait till right after this certain point, and then I'm going to get you. That's not God's justice. God's justice is about healing and renewal. It's about restoration it's like we love the, the, the language of that word restoration. It means to return something to its former owner, place, or condition. It's just like this beautiful homecoming, right? It's why when we repent, we turn around, God responds with mercy. And he can't wait for that. He longs for that. He itches for that. It's something that he, I mean, it's just part of his nature, but if we do not repent, then he will only wait so long until he puts a stop to our rampage. 
our human self-centered rampage. See, evil is a byproduct of sin. And Yahweh is after a world with no evil at all. That's his nature. That's who he is. So, Yahweh's against slave labor in Bangladesh and no more cruel dictators and ethnic cleansing and no more abuse and no more school shootings and no more racial injustice or mental illness or betrayal or fatherless children. No evil at all. That's what God is after. And how many of you want to live in a world like that? Maybe a few of us? Probably all of us though, right? You're just not really in the hand-raising mood today. But my guess is we all want to live in a world like that. And you can, if you're a follower of Jesus, one day you will. Because Yahweh is just. Period. Full stop. And that is the end game. And so his justice is a good thing. It's part of what makes the good news good news. It's not just forgiveness. See, forgiveness is really good news. But God's justice is what makes it fully good news. Does that make sense? So let me, let me unpack it for you a little bit. See, the hope of the gospel is not that the Holocaust victims will hang out with, with Hitler one day in heaven. Can we just, I don't know why it always goes to Hitler. It's like, oh yeah, but what about Hitler? You know, it's like whenever I have an argument with someone about evil, yeah, but what about Hitler? Um, And it's not, let me just do it this way. It's not that a victim of, of domestic violence will hang out with their abuser one day in heaven and everything will be cool. Like we're cool now, right? Because we're in heaven. No, it's, the hope is that there will be no Hitlers. That's, that's the hope. There's not gonna be domestic violence. There's not gonna be a woman thrown across the room in anger. There's not gonna be slave traders and genocidal maniacs and suicide bombers and predator drones. Those things are not part of God's world. And nothing and nobody who is hostile, hostile to the way of Jesus will be there because God will put an end to evil once and for all. That is our hope. The judge will finally judge. And we want justice. Like ultimately, we crave justice, right? Unless it's pointed towards us. But we ache for it. The prophet Amos wrote this, let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like an ever, a never failing stream that one day it will. That Yahweh, uh, right now, justice is like a slow trickle. But one day it's going to be a huge rushing river and it's going to cover the earth and everything will be made right. It will cripple sin and overrun evil. That is the, the message behind this. And because Yahweh is forgiving, you and I can take our wickedness and our rebellion and our sin to the cross and let it die. Let it die. That's the gospel. Now you're like, well, this is all great, Ryan, but what about the kids? The 
kids in the verse. All right? Let's get to the kids. It says he punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents. First, let me just say a couple things. First, it can't mean what it says on face value. I know you're like, well, you're just going to twist the words. And... But listen, Deuteronomy 24, 16 says this. I mean, I've been looking this stuff up for a while now. Parents are not to put to death, uh, to, sorry, parents are not to be put to death for their children, nor children put to death for their parents. Each will die for their own sins. So this is Moses. Moses is obviously kind of contradicting what's said here on face value. Like there's this idea that, hey, everybody's got to pay for their own penalty, right? This, this idea. Jeremiah kind of gets into this a little bit too. It says, you show love to thousands. What does that sound like? Oh, it sounds like this verse. But bring the punishment for the parents' sins into the laps of their children after them. Great and mighty God, this is where the hinge is, whose name is Lord Almighty. Great are your purposes and mighty are your deeds. Your eyes are open to the ways of all mankind. You reward each person according to their conduct and as their deeds deserve. So this can't be grandma cheats on her taxes and little Johnny pays the price, right? This, this isn't what God is ultimately getting at. I think, I think we have, there's layers here that we're gonna get into, I think that are really important, and I think that will really be helpful for you to kind of wrestle with. Like I said before, we wrestle with this. And I wanna wrestle with it. Part of the things that we do around here is we take the tension of scripture and we wrestle with it, and this is one of those. First one is this. The parent's sin has consequences for the children. Now, you don't have to go far to see how this works, plays itself out. I'm gonna throw this out there. Mom and dad own a meth lab. I don't know if own is the right term for that, but <laughs> mom and dad have a meth lab, get thrown in jail, kids get thrown into foster care. Do you think the children pay for something in the life of mom and dad? Absolutely. And you're like, well, that's not very common. Um, let's go with this one. Let's go with divorce and how painful that is. And I don't care what age your kids are. And you might say, well, that was so-and-so's fault, not my fault. I'm just, what I'm saying is, is that has effects, right? It doesn't matter what. I'm not trying to guilt trip you. I'm just saying that, that we're human beings. And no matter how uh, Angela and I, how hard we work, how many parent books we do and how, whatever we do, we're gonna kind of jack up our kids a little bit. It's just how it is. <laughs> a lot of kids in here are like, amen. <laughs> totally jack me up. <laughs> yeah, well, guess what? You're gonna jack up some kids one day too. Right? I mean, it's just how it is. I mean, we've been in this thing called faith walking, and one of the things with faith walking is we, we kind of go to some of these places in our lives that we started making decisions about our identities when we were young. And one of the things we say over and over again in faith walking is your, your, your parents did the best they could with what they had. And I know some of you may not even be able to believe that, but you don't know what they were dealing with in their life. I mean, sometimes you circle back around and have these conversations, right? 
I mean, the reality is that sin runs in the family. That's the second thing I want to say. Sometimes sin runs in the family. I mean, you're going to have these things that are just generational, whether it be anger or alcoholism or just, you know, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's just, it's just kind of in the family a little bit. You know, we, I've talked about faith walking a bunch and some of the things that I've learned in my own life and had a great conversation with my mom and my dad and, and, and they're here and so I don't wanna embarrass them, but um, you know, they have their stories too of growing up. And it's interesting to trace some things back and to see how things kind of, oh, you know, it's like wild. The things that kind of come down and, and they just kind of make their way in. It's kind of, anybody done the ancestry.com thing where you do the DNA deal and you figure out, you know, they don't tell you this. They don't tell you that you have some, some bents towards certain things because if it's in your family. And this is kind of what this verse is getting at too. And the third thing I would tell you that is this. Because Yahweh is just, he will continue to punish sin in each generation until it is completely gone. Like God is actively trying to root this out in you and in me. And we talk about how we, we try to break the cycle, you know, like, 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 like and, and some, of, some things in my family are really cool to watch how things have been broken cycle-wise. And, and you probably experienced this too. Like if you come from a family of divorce and, and maybe there's just been a lot of divorce and you're just like, I just want to break that. God wants to break that too. I think that's just a really powerful thing to hold on to that. He can't stop and won't stop trying to root out sin in our lives and in our family. Because he is a sentry guard and he's wanting to abound in love and faithfulness on you. He wants you to experience like the full blessed part of all of this. And then it goes on. This is the best part of the verse. And you might think it's not because you don't really understand it at first. And I didn't either. It says to the third and fourth generation. So you're like, man, that's a long time. Well, let's balance this out. Here's the twist. Here's the beautiful surprise. And it's super cool. See, the word generation isn't in Hebrew. Actually, to read it literally, you would read it like this. Maintaining love to thousands, he punishes the children to the third and fourth. That's the end of Hebrew. And so the writers, uh, the, the translators, threw in the word generation to help us kind of make sense of what's happening here. But you cannot put generation at the end of third and fourth without putting it at the end of thousands because this is an idiom. It's an actual Hebrew poem. And so in order, in order to make sense, you would have to say this, maintaining love to thousands of generations. And yet he punishes the children to the third and fourth generation. Do you see the difference in the scale? Thousands of generations, third and fourth generation. It's this idea 
It's actually, this comes from the Ten Commandments, but we don't have time to get into that. Imagine a scale, and we were going to try to attempt to do a scale up here, kind of Dan's work his style, but it just wasn't going to work well with me being a part of it. <laughs> Imagine a scale, and it's heavily weighted on mercy. Like, it's, it's super tilted, like... Like the one end is hitting the floor and the other one's way up in the air. It's like getting a fat guy like me on a teeter-totter with a little kid. And the mercy side of it is big and huge and weighting down. And then the justice part is a little bit up here, hanging on. That's what scripture is saying here. That's what this beautiful Hebrew poem is saying, that God maintaining love to thousands and punishing to the third and fourth. And the reason why he's punishing to the third and fourth is to root out sin, to get rid of it, so that you would experience it, and I would experience real blessing. That's what God is all about. There's this idea that comes from Numbers, this story in Numbers. This is where this is quoted, okay? And, 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 and Numbers is, okay, the, the, the Israelites are cruising around. They've been promised the promised land, okay? Uh, they get rescued out of Egypt, and um, they've already decided within a week or so they wanted to go back to Egypt. They're like, this sucks, God, help us. And like, he's like, wait a second. Here's what I've done. I mean, he's, he's, he's leading them with a pillar, like a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. It's like this big deal, right? And they get to the edge of Canaan. They get to the edge of the promised land and they send some spies over there and they see Amalekites and Amalekites are giants compared to them, right? They're barbaric people. They're masochistic people. They're huge giants. Now, if you're a smaller person and you try to fight in a world of hand-to-hand combat, a big, tall person, there's this thing called arm reach, right? And so if you have a sword and you're stronger and you're longer, chances are you're going you're gonna to win. So in a world of hand-to-hand combat, this is like having way modern weapons compared to, you know, so they're freaked out. They have giants, right? So they panic, they freak out, they say, God's the worst, we don't trust him, and, and they decide they want to go back to Egypt again. And so God's frustrated just a little bit. Like if you like honestly read Exodus and Numbers, like as you get into Numbers, you're just like, what is with these people? Like you're even mad at them, right? And, and so God says, the Lord said to Moses in verse 11 of Numbers 14, he says, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I performed to them? Among them, I will strike them down, God says, with a plague and destroy them. But I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. So he's talking to Moses and he's like, Moses, I'm thinking about starting over with just you. Like I've had it with them. I'm so frustrated. They keep not trusting me. And ultimately what sin is, you know what sin is? It's not trusting God. I mean, it goes all the way back to Genesis. It's like they didn't trust God. Like even Adam, they didn't trust God. This idea of like uh, God is holding out on us. And so we're going to take life into our own hands. That's the, that's the basis. That's like the root. That's like the core of what sin is. 
And so we've all been there, fruit in hand, serpent's voice in our ear, and we've all sinned and we've all not trusted Yahweh. And Moses says, now may the Lord's strength be displayed just as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger. He reminds God, Moses is reminding God of who he is. I love this. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. Does that sound familiar? Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children in the uh, and he punishes the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people, just as you have pardoned them from the na- from the time they left Egypt until now. I love this part. The Lord replied. I have forgiven them as you have asked. See, God, Yahweh is forgiving and and eager to do so. The problem is, is that sin isn't forgiving. Like sin is cruel, it is merciless, and it has consequences. And so God says this, nevertheless, as surely as I live, And as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me 10 times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. Not one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. And skip down to verse 31. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, you see, part of their deal was like, our kids, our kids are going to get taken. He says, as for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them to enjoy the land you have rejected. But as for you, your bodies will fall in this wilderness. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness. Can you imagine being like the last guy? Like, and everybody's just like looking at you. You know what I mean? Like, dude. (laughs) For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. I, the Lord, have spoken. Remember, he's forgiven them. He's forgiven them. See, we like to think that forgiveness is, okay, everything's going to be fine now. But there's still a mess that we create with our sin. He says, I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will surely do these things to the whole wicked community, which is banded together against me. They will meet their end in this wilderness. Here they will die. See, here's the thing, guys. We can be forgiven, but we can also suffer the loss that sin brings, the brokenness and the pain. And I know this is an overused analogy, but if I was to have an affair, it would, it would be something that brings a lot of pain to a lot of people. Not just my wife and my kids, but you as a church. There would be ripple effects that would just... I'm not saying because of who I am. I'm just saying it would just, you've been there. You know what this is like. 
And yes, there could be forgiveness, and, and, and I'm sure God would forgive me because the scriptures say this. But I would spend the rest of my life picking up the pieces, and they would never fit again. Does that make sense? And so we need to take sin way more serious because God does, because God is just. Does God forgive? Constantly. Does he wipe the slate clean and help people start over? All the time. Is there healing in Jesus? Yes, 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 yes. But we still need to grapple with the weight of sin because we don't want to miss out on God's best for us. And God's, uh, God want, he's got this beautiful, abounding in love and faithfulness piece that we want to enter into. And so when you fast forward to Jesus, there's tension between the mercy and the justice soaked into every page of the Bible. That God is merciful and he's also just. Well, how does this resolve itself? It resolves itself in Jesus. John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is this idea that we get right out of Exodus 34. We have seen his glory. Because they saw Jesus. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. John says, this is the lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. And in this day and age, for more than a thousand years, the way Yahweh dealt with sin was with blood. And we've talked about this over and over again. You go to the temple You place your hands on an animal, the priest slits its throat, and the animal dies in your place. And we don't talk about this enough. You You have blood on your hands. You're part of this. The animal would suffer and die in your place. So you sin, the, the lamb dies. The lamb dies, you live in God's favor. And as gory and as pre-modern as it sounds, it was a signpost pointing to Jesus. When John says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that's the picture. That's what happened. Romans 3, Paul lays this out. He says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. We're just trusting God. That trusting God is is what brings life. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. See, Paul is saying that Jesus' death is God's solution to the ancient dilemma of God's mercy and his justice. This is where we get the idea, the picture of substitution. There's a substitute. The cross is the expression of God's mercy, right? And we love that part. But at the same time, it's also an expression of his justice, that God can't leave the guilty unpunished. And so this is the ultimate expression of God's character in Jesus. And this is how God reconciles the mercy thing and the justice thing, the tension between the two. And it's not like Jesus was like, all right, I'll take one for the team. Like, this is part of the plan between the triune God ever since the creation of the world. This is how it would be resolved. And this is how we walk into it. So when we talk about God's nature being mercy, 
This is it. We sin, Jesus dies. Jesus dies, we live in relationship with the Father. So welcome to the community. This is the kingdom, guys. This is the beautiful peace. And so here's the implication really quick because I know I've gone long. Yahweh will deal with sin in your life and in my life in one way or the other. Because he wants to root it out. He wants you to live a life that is full and how God wanted you to live. So he'll root it out one way or the other. See, sin is always its own reward. It just is. So for example, just throw a couple examples out here. Lying and cheating. If your life is just about lying to get ahead, cheating to get ahead, uh, uh, you know, pushing the truth to, to make people like you a little bit more. Raise your hand. That's me. Uh, it, it's, it's a house of cards. What that will lead to is its own reward. Its own reward will be isolation from people. People don't trust you. People don't want to be around you. There's not a lot of freedom there. Let's talk about porn. It leads to a, a warped mind. You, you begin to see men and women as objects. There's a breach of present and future intimacy. And ultimately what this will do is it'll erode whatever sexual pleasure is in, down the road for you. It will take that away. It'll begin to move it away. And I've got some long, a lot of thoughts on that and a lot of reading I've done on that. And if you're like, yeah, I don't believe it. It's actually brain science that tells us this. Gossip. Let's talk about gossip. You're like, dang it. People will start tr stop trusting you. And loneliness and cynicism will dominate your life more and more. See, a lot of times people, we have this phrase when we talk about fearing God. A lot of people try to explain that away. It's not really fear, it's just reverence and respect. But the funny thing is, is it says fear. <laughs> like, it's like, like, I can't undo that one for you. See, every encounter in scripture that people are, are, are meeting God face to face, they are scared to death. It's like a mop the floor after they meet God thing, right? <laughs> I mean, it's like intense. Hebrews 10 says this, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. See, we can break free from sin and it runs back, even if it runs back generations. It's like we can do that. Like God has, has made a way for that for us. You and I can repent where the handcuffs can come off. We can begin to see transformation happen in our lives. Um, that's what a community's for, to root each other on, to, to call that out of each other, to help each other walk into that together. Question is, have you done that? And if so, are you, you are forgiven, but here's the thing, really, truly, honestly forgiven. Like change your life kind of forgiven. And it's a staggering reality that your sin is gone forever. The, the writer of Psalm 103 quotes Exodus 34, you need to go read this. Psalm 103 quotes Exodus 34 and then goes on to say this, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. 
Like God is just itching to forgive. He's weighted the whole scale towards mercy. And he wants you to experience it. And yeah, maybe you and me, we're still mopping up our lives from the choices we've made. And you say, well, it's over for me. I've made too many sinful choices. I've screwed my life up. I've, I've taken the pin out of the grenade. I've thrown it in my life and it's just a, a mess. And it's not over. Look at the prophet Joel. We're gonna finish with this. I love this verse. And some of you might need to tattoo this one. Well, not all of it, but some of it. It says, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. We won't get into that. Return to the Yahweh, to the Yahweh your God. Listen to this. For he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. You know, like this picture in Numbers with, with Moses. I love this right here. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing. I don't know what you've done with your life. You're forgiven? Yes. You can have that. You can taste that. Yes. But you've also maybe got a mess going on in your life because of it. Who knows? Who knows? Prophet Joel says, God may leave behind a blessing even in that.